hello and thank you everyone for joining us this afternoon and we're here today with a dear friend of colleague of mine dr morteza mamudi who is at michigan state i'm dr leah hollis and i'm a visiting researcher here at rutgers university and so thrilled to be bringing to you today um, a discussion on stem the bullying for international researchers and the dangerous consequences in the science field Today, we are visiting with Dr. Morteza Mamoudi. He is the founder of the Academic Parity Group, and we are launching our third free conference uh, this March, 2023. He is a nanotechnologist and assistant professor in the Department of Radiology at Michigan State University. Previously, he was an assistant professor at Harvard University, and he's the winner of the 2018 Bright Futures Prize. Thank you so much, Morteza for joining us today. So wonderful to visit with you. Thank you so much for having me, Leah. It's a pleasure to be here. So we'll kick off. So, so Morteza, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your experiences in STEM as an international researcher that led you to form the academic parity group? Yeah, so actually my background, uh, I mean, my training, uh, is in uh, material science and engineering. And later on, I basically studied uh, biomedical engineering and nanomedicine in my master and uh, PhD. So uh, because basically the field is kind of multidisciplinary, I had to basically travel a lot and basically talk with different groups and different uh, people working in different area of science, including uh, medicine. So that's why I basically traveled a lot um, through like uh, European countries and also within the US. So I have been at the Stanford University learning about uh, cardiac biology or at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign learning about like biochemistry to basically connect the dot and put the pieces together so I can basically design and execute better nanomedicine product that are kind of more safe and also efficient for, uh, for being translated into clinics and be used by patients. So along the way, I basically, like I mentioned, have been in different cultures, in different universities, in different disciplines. And no matter uh, what discipline I was in and like uh, what university I was worked for, I always saw people suffering from um, academic harassment and bullying. So the turning point basically was um, the time that I... Um, decided to write a piece um, in Nature back in 2018 about the issues of reporting systems in uh, academic bullying and the difficulties that international students have with that reporting system and basically how they, are, they were basically more vulnerable to those behaviors. So I wrote a few paragraphs to Nature as a letter to editor and uh, it was very interesting to me that, uh, like, uh, after the piece was published, within a week um, after publication, 
I got huge number of uh, response and feedbacks from people from different disciplines and different positions about the piece. And it was far beyond all of the feedback that I've got from my nanomedicine and regenerative medicine papers all combined. So uh, I thought that, okay, as a scientist, our mission and vision basically is to make a world a better place and basically help others. So it seems that the field of academic bullying is uh, what we need to contribute. I mean, this is the major issue if every person in different positions and different uh, disciplines are dealing with this issue over the time and um, a few paragraphs basically gets this huge amount of feedback i need to basically investigate the field in much more detail the way we basically do research in nanomedicine and regenerative medicine that we want to understand the root causes of each problem and basically propose tangible solution to address uh, such problems. So that's why I basically um, investigated the field, uh, put like uh, considerable efforts to understand root causes, to understand the current literature. And also along the way, I noticed that targets basically have limited access to resources to basically get help from. Uh, Most of those resources are internal, so there's a possibility that the confidentiality of the reports are not preserved for a variety of reasons, and the targets actually may pay the price of reporting as well, in addition to experiencing the academic bullying. So that's why I basically, um, uh, that was basically the the initial motivation to create an external entity that can uh, basically help targets of academic harassment and uh, bullying. Great. So can you share with our audience, I mean, I'm familiar with it as, as I work with you on academic parity, but could you give us a snapshot of the academic parity group and its mission and your activities uh, in the last few years? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the initial uh, mission of the academic parity movement as a nonprofit organization was to increase awareness about the issue. Uh, when I basically looked in the literature, I noticed that most of the literature in the field comes from the social sciences and uh, people like in other disciplines like chemistry, physics, uh, uh, like uh, clinical sciences and so forth, basically have limited awareness and access to those kinds of uh, reports. And as you know, the very first uh, step in addressing a problem is understanding and acknowledging the problem. So that's why the initial goal of the academic parity movement was to increase awareness. So we decided basically to um, to basically get help from experts in the field from different disciplines, and we had them as an advisory group in academic parity movement. 
and we made a platform that targets of academic bullying, no matter from their, I mean, regardless of their countries and their discipline, they can approach academic parity movement and we can basically connect them with the experts in their particular culture and field. So they can basically get some informal advice about their particular situation. And these team of experts also help us to basically increase awareness about the issue through publications and news in different fields of science. So basically all people from different disciplines and different positions, they can get resources of information to better understand what academic bullying and harassment is and how they can basically differentiate that from academic freedom and then how basically they can get help when they are a target of academic bullying and harassment. Our midterm goal, which has been started uh, like uh, from last month, uh, the beginning of 2023, is to empower targets. We basically raised some funding and we uh, started basically supporting targets to get uh, legal advice and also trauma expert advice based on their situation. So we basically try to change the paradigm of remaining, of basically leaving targets on hill. So we want to empower them so they can basically uh, arm themselves with information and advice from expert people to fight back and basically claim their rights. And the long-term goal, which we plan to start from 2027 is to create a comprehensive platform that all the stakeholders basically come together, make integrational uh, functioning and very uh, effective collaboration to finally address the issue. So our understanding basically is that one stakeholder is inadequate to address the issue. They may address the issue in some particular cases, but if you want to basically uproot the issue of academic bullying and harassment, we need help from all of the stakeholders. These are funding agencies, these are gatekeepers, these are like uh, lawyers and trauma experts. All of them needs to get together and make a comprehensive and collaborative plans to address the issue. So these are basically the three major goals of the academic parity movement. Great. Thank you for sharing that. If I may ask a follow-up question, do you find that workplace bullying in the STEM fields is different than, say, other fields in academe? And if they are different or the same, how could you address those differences or similarities for those in the STEM field? Yeah, that's a great question. We recently uh, run a global survey to better understand the like the critical role of a specific discipline and fields in contextual behaviors of academic bullying. And what we found was that the contextual behaviors of academic bullying are strongly dependent to the to the type of disciplines. And there are reasons for that. For example, 
for fields that there are involvement of like industry and also IP generation may have like industrial values and uh, translational values. Some particular contextual behaviors of academic harassment basically are significantly higher than other fields. For example, if you look at the field of biotechnology where IP generation has great value because they can be licensed by different companies, we have higher rate of like forcing targets to kind of transfer their rights in intellectual properties and also the authorship. Whereas in other kind of disciplines, maybe the author authorship credit and also basically ganging up against the targets may play a more critical role. So I would say it's highly discipline specific. And the, the basically uh, a strategy to address those is to develop guidelines in a discipline-specific manners. Those could be guidelines in understanding the incidence and more common type of academic bullying in each field, and also a plan, a comprehensive and discipline-specific manner plan to address incidence of academic bullying in each disciplines. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for that. So since academic parity has been up and running, um, I understand you've gotten advice and messages and communication with both NIH, National Institute of Health, and NSF, National Science Foundation. Could you share your interactions with NIH and NSF and where they fit in this initiative to uh, minimize bullying in the STEM fields? Yeah, we actually had a chance to um, invite the director of the NIH uh, Extramoral Research in our second annual conference of academic bullying. So basically get their perspective about the issue and their efforts in addressing the issue. Interestingly enough, we noticed that they basically started to create a direct line for targets to basically call them and share their concerns. And they basically, in a, in a kind of uh, confidential manner, open a case, make investigation, and then if they found the PI guilty, they basically uh, get the funding from the PI. And I think this is a very, uh, very tangible and efficient process because one of the main reasons that institutions try to protect bullies and basically uh, be kind of unfair about the internal investigation of uh, academic bullying is, um, is the huge amount of funding that the perpetrator may bring to the university. So the universities basically gets the overhead and if the funding agencies gets involved and cut the funding, then it would be easier for institution to basically be more fair and uh, unbiased in considering the, investig- the basically incidence of academic bullying. So uh, we have interactions with NIH. We basically um, have their points presented in our second annual conference. And we know basically they are making a great progress, at least in creating a, a, a collaborative culture between universities 
and them to kind of minimize the incidence of academic uh, bullying. Uh, I'm aware that NSF has the same uh, strategy. We also witness that the strategy works through other funding agencies. For example, in UK, we have a charity-based funding, which is called Welcome Trust. And they basically have a long history of uh, uh, banning funding to the institutions that basically don't uh, release the anti-bullying records of the PI that apply for, uh, for funding. And also getting funding from, uh, from individuals that uh, have validated uh, incidents of like bullying over other people. Wow. Understood. Well, it's great to see that NIH and NSF are cracking down, which means colleges and universities need to take this issue much more seriously. Um, if I may switch gears to the student experience, and not only would I like to ask you about what advice you'd give to students, but I also recognize in some of the academic parity um, activities you've addressed how this can be even more perilous for international students. Can you address uh, what advice you would give to students and specifically international students who rely on the PI or their advisor in the STEM field and still need to move forward with their careers? Right, yeah, so my first advice actually uh, always have been to kind of be proactive about the issue. I always, uh, I, I mean, I strongly believe that a person who does bullying, it's uh, not basically showing the behavior to one target, and it's not a one-time incident. They basically have many targets, and um, the incidences basically happens over the time, and it's also evolving. So my first advice always is that do your job before joining a lab. Be proactive. Try to find lab alumni. It's very important to talk with, uh, with previous or former lab members because you can get the honest uh, feedback from them. If you ask from current lab members, they may basically not tell you the entire like a story about the lab because they have many things to compromise. They have fear of retaliation. They have uh, like fear of uh, kind of uh, lack of confidentiality about what they basically say to you that may be transferred to the PI. But if you talk to the lab alumni, we can, you can basically get more honest and robust uh, feedback. So if you see that they talk about like uh, a lab that being toxic, Take it seriously mm-hmm. and, uh, and basically avoid or uh, don't basically um, attend the lab. Don't join the lab. Got it. But if you basically join the lab and later on you found that the lab is toxic or you basically experience um, different contextual behaviors of academic bullying and harassment, then don't remain silent ask for help, ask from like other people in the lab to see whether they have the same experience or not. Reach out to ombuds offices. They are third parties and they are very reliable and trustable. So you can basically share any 
concerns that you have with them. Mm-hmm. And you can get options that are tangible and you can make a better decisions because they know the university's culture and they know that like what happened to other people that have the same experiences. And uh, they can basically provide those options to you. Um, and there's a reason for that. If you wait for later time, then you may experience the evolved version of the academic bullying and you have much more to lose if you are dependent, for example, for the for a paper or you are basically working toward securing a, an academic degree. So you have much to lose and there are many reasons for you to use code of silence. So the second advice is to speak up early or seek for help earlier than later. Um, And international students and minorities, unfortunately, are more vulnerable. The reason is that they lack kind of, at least for international students, they lack uh, um, uh, basically um, uh, cultural familiarity uh, uh, that they basically can seek help uh, for. So there are language barriers, cultural barriers, and most of them are on visa. And what is unique about academic bullying compared to other workplace bullying is that the PI has a unique power over over the targets. Basically, it's a single PI that can make huge decisions over targets' career. So I always encourage international students to culture collaborations with other mentors in this case if if they feel that the lab is toxic they need to kind of rely on other mentors and other collaborators so if they need to change the lab then they already have some places that they can basically count on wow wow and what advice do you give to organizations and i ask that because Here in the United States, workplace bullying is still considered legal, except for that awesome law in the territory of Puerto Rico. They have the most comprehensive law. But other than that, workplace bullying is still like an add-on in a few states or not even considered an issue. So that leaves colleges and universities or other organizations to police themselves. So is there any advice you could give to an organization that is reluctant to deal with a bully in their lab? Yeah, actually, I always think that organizations that have a long-term view over their success, they understand how academic bullying can destroy um, their like mission and goals in long term. Because we have uh, strong literature and incidences supporting the fact that academic bullying can cause like uh, significant reduction in work performance or even data falsification and you know plagiarism so we have a couple of incidences that the clinical data based on academic harassment basically got falsified and later on NIH and other funding agencies basically find the university for a couple of hundreds of millions of dollars. So 
this is one side of ignoring the toxic environment in their institution. The other problem is that most of the institutions, at least from the scandals of academic bullying news that uh, we basically witnessed in the past few years, showing the fact that people, basically perpetrators, do the bullying behaviors for a couple of years, even decades. And even though there are hundreds of uh, complaints about their actions, the universities basically simply uh, didn't do anything. The reason is that there's no responsibility over the decisions that are being made by the uh, members of the uh, investigation committees within the university. So they need to increase accountability over their decisions. And also think about the fact that when they leave targets unhealed, there's a great risk that those people show bullying behaviors when they get into the power position. So in long term, they, instead of training like the next generation of the decent scientists, they would be a factory for future bullies. And the scientific community basically pays the price because the bullying can reduce the progress of the science. It can affect science integrity. And it can also, that the side effects can also affect the community. Imagine if the bullying happens in the healthcare system and the hospital system, it can increase uh, errors in medical decisions. So patients basically pay the price as well. So we are, as taxpayers, needs to demand universities and institutions to be to look at the big picture and be more kind of considerate about the issue of academic bullying and harassment. That makes lots of sense. Thank you for that. So with all that we've talked about with students and NIH and NSF and dealing with organizations, what would you consider some of the biggest problems regarding bullying in the STEM fields? What do you think needs the most immediate attention? I would say the most immediate attention would be, would be for all members of the scientific community to feel responsible and also responsible to the issue. Uh, I believe that the witness and bystanders needs to be um, kind of, they, they should not be neutral about the situation. When they see something, they need to say something. Because when we demand from the authorities that the workplace bullying has no place in academia, then we basically make them accountable for their decisions. So this can happen by, by all of us. Um, and this is not just from the, like the workforce of academia, but also from other gatekeepers. For example, journal editors. When you want to publish something about academic bullying now, many journals may say that it's out of the scope of our journals. But they basically ignore the fact that academic bullying, gender imbalances in science, and racism, they are general threat to the scientific community, no matter what disciplines you are working in. So your audience deserves to know about the issue, because on the other side, the issue may cause plagiarism and data falsification. So this, this is exactly relates to the, to the scope of your journal. 
So this is like one stakeholder. The other stakeholder is like funding agencies. Like I mentioned, they need to feel responsible for taxpayers' money. And if they want to allocate like the money to the universities, they need to ensure that the institutions basically provide a health environment that basically affects the kind of preservation preservation of the scientific integrity and help science to progress. Um, and if they basically allocate money to toxic environments, like I mentioned, not only they are at risk of wasting the money because of the complications that any toxic work environment may provide, but also they are uh, uh, they are kind of making uh, making future bullies, so they make the environment more toxic in future. So I would say all of the people at all positions that can make the system change and more accountable and more sensible to the incidence of um, academic bullying, they they need to contribute to the field and basically address uh, the bullying issue in academia once and for all. Got it. To actually try to catch it before, say, NIH or NSF catches it, right? Exactly. Absolutely. So back to academic parity, as I know you're, we are in our third year with this great conference. What other strides has your academic parity group made in this initiative to curtail bullying? So I think we tried basically to to bring different uh, stakeholders to um, to basically better uh, kind of convey their insights and also increase awareness about the issue uh, within the scientific community. For example, in the last uh, a conference that we had. Uh, we had a panel discussions uh, between journal editors. So we basically asked them about their insights about academic bullying, the, uh, the basically experiences that they had over authorship conflicts and the strategies that they used to address that. So I think the most... Uh, the most uh, uh, benefit that we could get from the academic parity movement was the fact that we increased the awareness through different disciplines and we basically made a platform that initiate cross-talk between different stakeholders. And lately, we started empowering targets. And this is, this is very important. The reason is that all of the scandals that basically came to the uh, media are kind of disappointing to the targets and it's encouraging to perpetrators. Like I mentioned, many of those show that bullying behaviors went on for decades and nothing happened to the perpetrator. Uh, so all of the price were paid by targets. So you can imagine what kind of signals it can send to perpetrators and targets. It can send strongly negative uh, signal to targets that perpetrators are protected. The system basically don't um, support you, so it's better to use the code of silence. And for the perpetrators, they get the signals that I'm okay at least for a couple of decades. 
to continue my actions and nothing would happen to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we did, you know, for our upcoming conference, we're going to have uh, Vice President Dr. Gita Swami from Duke University. And so for our listeners to Google Duke University and the whistleblower uh, situation that happened a few years ago where they had to pay back over a million dollars um, of fees to NIH because of coercion in the lab. And she has been very gracious in sharing that story to protect the science. And so it's so great, uh, Morteza, that your group is hosting her. So as we conclude, are there any final summation remarks or messages you would give to targets, to international students, and to organizations who are struggling with coercion and bullying in their labs? Yeah, my only comments basically is that when you see something, say something. The side effects of academic bullying, unfortunately, is not focused on targets and their families alone. It affects all of us. It affects science progresses. It affects science integrity. So all of us, no matter of what uh, positions uh, we have, we need to be more conscious about the issue and think that why in academia we still have these issues and we can't address that. So we need to be very careful, very thoughtful about the strategies that we need to take and we use the lessons learned from the other examples like the Duke universities that you mentioned. And we need to also think about the fact that those examples are tip of icebergs that we have knowledge about. There are many others that remain confidential within the university system. Yeah. That is such a great point. That's the emblematic example at Duke, but so many other schools. Um, I believe NSF had found 70 PIs that had this problem, and it is such a blow to the university. I certainly want to thank you, uh, Dr. Mahmoudi, for visiting with us. As we conclude, can you offer the contact information for academic parity and how our listeners can get in contact with you should they run into workplace bullying in their STEM experience, regardless of where they're at in the organization? Yeah, definitely. So they can simply visit the uh, Academic Parity Movement website, which is www paritymovement.org and they can basically get information about the resources that we have for example the videos of the past conferences that we basically launched and also they can get information on some of the targets uh, stories which would be beneficial uh, to them and there are lots of resources and uh, like uh, details of the contact information of each of the advisors in different fields and also different expertise that they can basically get connected and get help with. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Mahmoudi. I know you're out there at Michigan State and of course, um, our condolences and sympathies to your community. Uh, I just would like to send a shout out given the tragedy that happened on your campus last night that these kinds of violences, whether they're psychological or emotional in the lab or escalating all the way to what happens in our communities are things we all need to work against and resist. So thank you 
so much for your work and your commitment. And uh, I'll see you at the conference. Thank you so much. And our conference is March 17th, 2023. You can get more information about that on the Academic Parity website. But I want to thank you. And also, of course, thank the Proctor Institute for hosting our podcast this afternoon. This is Leah Hollis. And thank you so much, everyone, for your attention. Have a great day.